All right, well, happy Mother's Day, everybody who's on our campuses, online. Let's thank God for all the stepmoms, adoptive moms, moms, uh, soon-to-be moms. Let's thank God for all the moms who are with us today. Can we do that? Awesome, 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 awesome. Now, listen, I just wanted to kiss every mom that was with us today, but my wife told me that would not be a good idea. So I called the Hershey's company and got some help with that. So, Ray, can you pass this kiss along to uh, your little bride there, bro? You got that? You got it? Come on, man. Help me out here. You good? Jim, you got that? Oh, don't bobble that thing, man. Come on, bro. Who's got this? Who's got it? You ready? There we go. Oh, oh, okay. Who, who else? Back there. Jeff, wake up, man. Wake him up. Wake him up. Kicks, you got this? You better take care of your mama, bro. Did you get it? And baby's bobble. And here, look, here's two for my mom and your mom. All right, so there we go. All right. All right, let's thank God for our mothers one more time, y'all. Come on. We're glad to have all the moms with us here today. Hey, we've entitled this message a celebration of the women who follow Jesus. And man, I hope that all the women in our church will feel blessed and honored and feel the gratitude of their family and our church family. Uh, and this is, of course, Mother's Day and we love our moms. So we're going to hear from some of them in just a few minutes. But it would be a little tone deaf for us not to acknowledge the fact that there are lots of women here today who are of immense value to Jesus and to our church who are not moms. Uh, maybe they're godly single women who are serving the Lord with great joy in this season of their life. Uh, they may not be single forever, but like the two Marys who served with the Lord Jesus through his whole ministry, his widowed mother Mary and an unmarried single woman named Mary Magdalene. Uh, we got women in our church making a huge contribution in this season of life while they're still single. And I thank God for that. Uh, in addition, we also know there are also married ladies here who have not had children because that's just a choice they've made. And We've got married women here who are struggling with grief today because they've been unable to have children yet. Uh, and let me tell you, that makes days like Mother's Day really tough. Now, this is my friend Aline. Uh, she and her husband, Ryan. Ryan was a soldier at Fort Stewart. Uh, he was stationed here for a number of years. Uh, they were a great part of our Compassion Christian family. Really thank God for them. And this little precious girl is Aurora, and she is an answer to prayer. And I say that because when I met Aline, uh, she had just gone through two miscarriages and the birth of a stillborn child in three years. And man, it was tough sledding. Her husband was deployed through much of that time. Her heart was just broken. I mean, she was hurt. She was disappointed. She didn't understand why God was not answering her prayers for her babies the way she'd hoped. And so she's just grieving because she wanted to be a mom so much and feared that that would just never happen for her. And so she prayed and we prayed and man, she held on to her faith. And by the grace of God, uh, little Aurora was born sometime later. But you know, she's still looking forward to meeting those three children that she has in heaven. And, and like her, I, I know that there are many godly women who are going through that same grief this year. And so we want to be sensitive to that. But we also are so grateful for the moms who are among us here today. And I'm not a mom. And so I asked three of the thousands of great Compassion Christian moms to come up and help me with this message today. So would y'all welcome some real wonder women as they come up on the stage here with us today. Uh, they're going to come and share a little bit. Awesome. Great, great, great. Come on in here. Have a seat. Good, good, good. Okay, Victoria, would you start off, just introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what stage of motherhood uh, you're in right now. 
Sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Victoria Baylor. Um, I have a near, four, near almost 14-year-old daughter uh, named Riley, so we are entering the teenage stage. Awesome. Um, you know, pray for us. <laughs> so yeah. far, so good. We're going to keep our fingers crossed on that. Um, yeah. And it just so happens that my daughter is a spitting image of my husband, so it's really odd that I managed to give birth to my husband in female form. I found that to be really <laughs> weird. God was trying to punk me or something. Um, and I just so happen to be, oh, career-wise, I'm an entrepreneur, so I am a coach for uh, entrepreneurial and professional women, and I help them you know, achieve their God-given dreams, goals, and gain confidence in all that they do. And I have the pleasure of being on the prayer team here. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's thank God for Victoria. Let's welcome her. Everybody good? Super, super, super. All right, Jessica Joy, introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Jessica Joy. Um, my last name is Gross. You've probably seen my husband on the screen a few times, Bill Gross, he works here at the church. And the one um, cute thing about our last name is that we can call our four children Grosslets. Um, I don't know, I thought that was cute. Anyway, my oldest Grosslet is Graceland Faith, if she's 12. I have Caden is 10, Caleb is seven, and Kyra is six. And as you can see, I'm a sign language interpreter. I get to do it on Sundays to honor the Lord, and I do it during the week to make money. <laughs> there we go. All right. Fantastic. Let's welcome Jessica Joy, everybody. Glad to have you with us today. All right, baby. I mean, uh, Sister Sarah, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? My name's Sarah Huxford, and I'm married to the amazing lead pastor at Compassion Christian Church. I have three amazing sons that are also pastors. I have three amazing daughters. I got the easy way. I had the boys marry them. And so now yep. I don't always describe you as amazing, you and the boys, but I, there's 12 that, little then. people that I also need to say are amazing. I have 12 grandchildren and I'm not biased at all, but they're the most amazing little people you ever meet. And so I'm also on staff here as the leadership, women's leadership pastor. All right. Well, let's welcome Sarah. We're glad to have her with us here today as well. Good. Now, this has been a really challenging time, Victoria, you know, with COVID, just this unexpected, unprecedented experience for all of us. How has that affected you as a mom? Well, it truly was unexpected. And, you know, um, it, it had some impact, but not too much. I've right. always, as an entrepreneur, I work out of my home, so that didn't change too much. But I did acquire what I like to call as a colleague. So my 13-year-old <laughs> works alongside of me. So yeah. um, I've, it's been really challenging in the sense that she's very extroverted, very people, much a people person. And she's an only child, which she's a little bit salty about. So having her at home, you know, we just have to, go, have to go the extra mile to make sure she can communicate, hang out with her friends if she's on the phone too long. And there's nothing like a teenager's conversation on the phone. It's like, oh, my God, what are they I talking bet. about? Bet, um, yeah. But that's really great. And, you know, we just get to spend a lot more time together. And I just uh, learned to be a little bit more lenient on the rules, you know, yeah. before I, I blow my top, you know, as a mom. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just taking a little bit of adjusting. Yeah, that's but we, an adjustment. We're managing. Yeah, that's an adjustment, man. Okay. Now, Jessica Joy, you uh, had a special situation happened during this COVID time. Uh, the COVID wasn't a big deal for you, but tell us a little bit about what you what you had to face. Yeah, so way pre-COVID, um, my husband and I have always talked about adopting, but um, God actually gave us a beautiful two-year-old little girl before we were even in an adoption process. So we, um, we got this little girl, and I just wanted to share a little story about how we told her she was adopted. Um, the whole time we were thinking about doing and adoption, we always said we would always tell them right away, you know, no lies, nothing like that. 
But then the way that we got little Kyra was her mom had passed away suddenly. And so when she joined our family, my husband in all his wisdom said, Jessica Joy, the last thing we need to tell her is why she doesn't belong. We need to show her why she does and love her in every way. So that day I agreed and I said, I agree. A year later, when Kyra started talking and she had been around the other grosslets and she started looking at me in front of them saying, Mommy, when I was in your tummy, and the other three are looking at me going, is Mom going to lie? Is she going to go against Dad? You know, I had to kind of become the distraction queen. But um, I was still submitting to my husband, but maybe got a little bit of a negative attitude after a year and just went up and said, you need to tell me when you're ready, because I'm ready, and I slammed the door, which I don't always do, but I, I think it stirred something in him, because that night he came home, and we were sitting at the dinner table, and he says, let's just tell her. And I'm, as a mom, I'm like, no, this is, I was gonna get a library book, and we were gonna make it a big deal, and, and he's like, no, we're just gonna tell her. So I submit, and I get Kyra, and I put her on his lap, and I'm looking at her, and I say, Kyra, you know how you always tell me, mommy, when I was in your tummy? And she goes, uh-huh. And I said, you actually weren't in my tummy. And she looked scared. And then she started to smile, and I'm like, what are you gonna say? I know, Mommy. I was in Daddy's tummy. <laughs> so God completely broke the ice, and I'm going to fast forward because there's a really amazing God story in this. So the next day, I dropped her off at preschool, and I let the teacher know. Yeah. We just told Kyra she was adopted, just in case anything comes up. The rest of the day goes on. That night, I'm sitting on the couch with my husband. We get a text from the preschool teacher that says, Jessica Joy, I had to share this with you. We happen to be teaching, which I don't believe in coincidences. Right. Um, right. God happened to be teaching the story of baby Moses, of how he had his birth mommy, and she had to give him away, and God had a plan for his life, and God gave him a new mommy, and she said, Kyra raised her hand in her three-year-old wisdom and said, God gave me a mom, but my mom had to go away, and so God gave me a new mom, and he has a plan for my life, and so, wow. ladies, uh, Lord, submit man. to your husbands, yeah. even when you don't understand. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's awesome. All right, Sarah, how about you? Talk to us about the challenge of COVID time. Well, thinking about COVID, um, you know, what's crazy is I watched my daughters-in-law and they were amazing because they changed roles and they went from just mom to teacher and all that. So they had so many different things. But I'm only sitting here today because I'm the stand-in for the grandmamas. And COVID was interesting for ours because uh, for all of us uh, grandmothers as we talk to each other because there's a lot of isolation and yeah. there wasn't time and you know these little kids change so fast so I had to find new ways to kind of engage with them and, and it was just an interesting time because I was used to more FaceTime more actual FaceTime with them but then we we learned to use FaceTime and so my uh, oldest grandson sometimes works at the church with his dad and he calls me on my extension says so what are you doing to serve Jesus today and he, go, and he tells me what he's doing to work for Jesus today and, <laughs> and then um you know, all of, the, all of them, they'll get a hold of me in different ways, but I, it was really important to, to make sure I still knew these little kids. And so I uh, have a secret weapon, and her name's Emma Grace. We call her the reporter. So she comes in, and we have business meetings, and she reports everything on everybody to me, and I, I love that. But if I get a call FaceTime, I mean, it's, uh, it's just like, you know, no matter what I'm doing or what meeting I'm in, I'm like, it's the president, and I'm going to have to take this call. He needs me, and I, I go. But, but it, it's been so, such a blessing to know 
know them in a different way because you have to communicate differently. My oldest grandson called me, sang a song he and his cousin are writing and and did that for me. And so any of those little treasures, we're still like, okay, Bible says I'm on duty for my children and my grandchildren's children. And so staying kind of connected and knowing them has been different different for me. It's been a challenge. This isolation has been tough. It's been tough. Okay, Jessica Joy, what what was your greatest fear as a mom? My biggest fear as a mom was that my pastor would ask me to come on this stage and talk in front of my... Okay, your second greatest fear. Okay, Um, I'm actually in general not a very fearful person, but when thinking about this question, I thought probably the scariest thing for me would be if any one of my four grosslets would walk away from the faith. To imagine any of them in this world today without the love and grace and peace and joy of Jesus could be devastating. Right, right, right. Victoria, how about you? Well, you know, I was preparing myself before she was born on, you know, thinking through some of that stuff. And um, I think I've always known from the beginning that she's not really my child, and I'm okay with that. She's really Jimmy's child, so we established that from the beginning, but his twin. But, um, you know, in kind of my internal just kind of thinking, um, I've always had a concern. It's not so much a fear. It's just a concern that I want to make sure that I I honor the gifts that God has placed in her. I want to make sure I honor the way he's wired her. I want to make sure that I understand that um, she is, she has, she does things for a certain reason and that that attributes itself to what she's called to do, the purpose she has here. And I want to make sure that I can actually groom her in a way that doesn't break her spirit. I think that's so important not to break her, but to kind of mother. And then I want to make sure my stuff doesn't end up on her. You know, she looked, she didn't come with a manual. God knows I would have read that thing inside and out. So we're trying to figure it out. But I think the biggest thing is as if I take care of my stuff and make right. sure I keep myself before God. And I honor the way she sees the world because she has a viewpoint that's really important. So yeah. just, just making sure I keep myself in check. Right, that's the biggest right, thing. right, right. Okay, super. How about you, Sarah? I actually, the minute I became a mother, I was overwhelmed. That really was the best, biggest job I ever had. I thought, I am in charge of this life. I have to keep this little life going. And so I had lots of fear. Um, For one thing, I raised three boys. I mean, four boys. And uh, I never never knew which mountain they were going to climb or jump off of. And it was just like, they'd say to me, Mom, you're freaking everybody. And I said, well, somebody's got to freak around here. None of y'all worry about anything. And so I was that kind of mom trying to say, and I look at them and say, it is my job to keep you alive till you're 21. They're all past that. And I'm still not off duty. (laughs) But again, um, I think the best day of my life was so you do, you can tell what my husband's had to deal with. There was fear, but my best day was to realize I'm not doing this alone. First of all, we have a wonderful heavenly father. And right. the other thing is the other voices. We literally didn't raise the Huxford boys. We had a lot of people help us. Our, our grandparents were great. They were a wonderful part of their lives, but they were long distance. So people in this church helped raise the Huxford boys. And I will always be grateful for that because all your children need another voice in their life at time when they need it, youth coaches and things. And we just had so many people just feed into their life. And I love the day I realized it's not all about what I can do because my, my fear was, you know, I want them to know how to stand strong in the fifth grade and in the 12th grade and when they go off and, and what if I do something wrong? But again, I love what y'all said because it's not all about what I did. And so God is a parent incubator here as far as adding other parent voices when sometimes they get to the age where they don't listen to your voice anyway, so you need those other voices. Yeah, yeah. How about now, Victoria? How did God help you get over that that concern? 
I mean, I, I definitely would echo what Sarah, Sarah said for sure, right. that, you know, if it was up to me, it'd be hot mess city. So yeah. I think really just knowing that <clears> it's, <throat> it's not really entirely up to me. My daughter does spend majority of her time with me, but then just being thankful for the, oh my God, we have a tribe. We have great grandparents. Her dad is amazing. Um, fan, friend, friends, family, we're going to get it out. All of those people, you know, just kind of surrounding her and speaking to her, that kind of relieves the pressure. And then just kind of going with the ebbs and flows of life. I think sometimes having expectations is where you mess up. Right. Expecting things to be a certain way, expecting it. You know, I realized that her clothes will kind of get close to the hamper and like maybe one shirt will kind of get in it. <laughs> and that, you know, that's just where we're at right now. So, yeah. you know, just, just, you know, you just learn to kind of roll with it. And I think a lot of it is just relieving that pressure within ourselves as mothers. And right. I've learned to do that. Thank God I'm not as uptight as I used to be. Like, that is a miracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Jessica Joy? How did you get over that concern, that fear? Yes, well, I have an awesome husband that comes home and lets me dump everything on him. I had these mom, mean mommy moments today, and he just reminds me that anything I look at and say, this was a fail, God can take a bad and turn it to good, mm -hmm. um, even when we you know, think it's impossible. Um, and I also think back to when one of my children uh, was in a what-if phase. I don't know if you all have experienced that, but what if the house burns down? What if there's a flood? What if, and I would always try to counteract with a positive. You know, what if the sky fills up with rainbows and we all get sprinkled with rainbow <laughs> sprinkles? I mean, what if that doesn't happen and something good happens? So I just, you know, look at this fear that I had of my kids walking away from the faith. Well, what if by the grace of God, all four of my children walk strong in the faith for the rest of their lives. Right. So I'm going to think about that. Yeah, pray for it and yeah. yes. work toward it and everything yes. else. Yeah, great. How about you, Sarah? I kind of answered both of mine together, yeah. the fear and the stuff that got me over it. But I would say that uh, partnering as parents is in, in just committing these lives to the, to the Lord in prayer together was a huge thing in our lives. We never presumed we were the parents that could do all that needed to be done. We counted on our Heavenly Father. But it, my my amazing church family that became such a part of their lives it will still be the best thing that I think they helped me get over the fear because I realized I did have backup and so the best thing I would tell any mom is you you got backup you just might need to find it and know where it is and those voices that you need to hear that'll speak into your kids lives but will also speak into your life when I found out I had backup my fear got a lot better okay well um, you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about being a part of a church family like this, whether you're a single mom or, you know, whatever, you've got a, a support system in that. So can you, Sarah, if you could say one word of blessing for the ladies in our church here as we bring this to a close, what would you say? Well, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I know that when we come to a day like this, some people don't know they have backup. So my, I, my prayer has already been for you as we prepared for this weekend that we would go through it and realize that you don't have to do this alone. You don't right. have to do this thing called being a mom alone. And I tell you, we do things like it's your day just because of that. If you mm -hmm. come all alone, don't know anybody, you're going to be surrounded by family and you're going to find some voices that are ready to feed into your life. So my prayer, and I just know it'll be a blessing to you, is just seek out that backup. That backup. Yep. How about you, Jessica Joy? One word of blessing for the ladies before we go here today. Uh, definitely. Um, friends, this church is a gift, and this family here, I look at, and my moments of, I don't know what to do, and I go and I say, okay, that's a godly woman raising godly children, and I say, what did you do in this situation when this happened to you? So take advantage and be, be grateful. Thank you, Lord, for this family here. Yeah. So. All right, Victoria, if you want to leave us with one word of blessing for the ladies here today, what would you say? 
Well, I would say to them, just I think today, if anything is evident, I want all the women to remember and just be reminded of all that you put out, all that you're constantly, you know, draining out of yourself to help others with. And don't forget self-care. You know, self-care is not optional. I just like self-care, self-care, just repetitive. Just think about that. And this isn't necessarily biblical, so don't quote me on it, but it is less than about 12 hours to the end of the day. So I want every mom to act like the biggest diva on the planet today. <laughs> you have earned it. Don't be shy about it. Some of you need to be carried out of this church, spoon fed. You can fake a fainting spell. It's diva time, all right? Do it. Uh, great. All right, let's thank the Lord for these ladies, man. I'm telling you, y'all did a great job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. Love you. Thank you so much. All right, God bless you. Thanks. Okay, okay, okay. Man, they're trying to take the service over. Did you notice how that works like that? Man. And the time that's left over, I just want us to celebrate the role that godly women play in our ministry here. Now, if you had to guess... What percentage of the members of Compassion Christian do you think are female? What would you say? What percentage? Think about it. You ready for it? Here it comes. 57.5%, which I think is amazing. I think that is a super help. Now, yeah, let's thank God for all the ladies. Y'all quick, quick, it's Mother's Day, quick. All right. Now, if this sounds like it's really specific, it is. Thank you for filling out the survey. That gives us hard data to compare. Appreciate it, all right? But I think this is a super healthy number for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think in most churches, the percentage of women would be much higher. I mean, way more women involved than men. And so this represents a really healthy balance between women and men in our church. And I think that's something we should thank God for. All right, second question. What percentage of our volunteers do you think are female? The volunteer crew, what do you think it is? What's the number? You got it in your head? Here it is, 57.8%, which is, again, kind of an amazing fact. God has built such a well-balanced, respectful, encouraging ministry that women and men are being led to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, going through growth track, giving their lives to Christ, being baptized into Christ, jumping in to serve the Lord Jesus. Man, I think in most churches it'd be 80%. 80% women, 20% men. You know why? Because in our culture, men tend to be spiritual abdicators. They don't take care of spiritual business in this culture. And thank God in our church, they do. I mean, thank God it's almost 50-50 here, which is kind of a, a, listen, that is the result of decades of faithfulness to God's word and an answer to prayer. And honestly, an example that I hope many, many other churches will follow. But it also begs another question that many of you ask, you know, we're in the middle of this elephant in the room series uh, and we just ask you to submit questions about anything you'd like to hear. What does the Bible say about that? What does Jesus say about that? And we've got a lot of questions about the role of women in the church. And so if you had to guess, what percentage of our staff here at Compassion do you think are female? Ready for it? 47%. 47% of the uh, staff here at our church. Now, uh, I'm honestly not sure that's the question most people really won't answer. I think the question people are asking is, are women allowed to be in leadership roles in the New Testament church? And the answer to that question is, depends on which role you talk about. And that's the biblical answer. So turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. And while you're getting there, can I just remind you that we've had women in leadership roles in our church for a long, long time, just like the New Testament church. 
Now, you ought to read the Bible. I'm telling you, it's an amazing book. You can learn some stuff in there, man. And if you were with us last year when we read through the New Testament challenge, you would have read Romans 16, where Paul said, I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centria. Now, this word servant is the Greek word diakonos. And that's the word that we get the word deacon from. Now, sometimes that word is used to describe a significant servant in the church. Sometimes it refers to a leadership office in the church. And we uh, interpret that word to, to, to the word deacon. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But look at this verse and think about what this means. Paul is in Corinth writing the book of Romans. I mean, the book that has probably affected more people's lives than any book in the New Testament. He's writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Centria is a bedroom community of Corinth. Many scholars believe that Phoebe was a significant servant leader in the Corinthian church. And she is actually the one that Paul entrusted to deliver the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Now, let that sink in for a minute. In the first century, when women were devalued in almost every way in the church, Paul entrusted the responsibility of delivering the only copy in the world of the longest book he would ever write to a woman who was a servant in the Corinthian church named Phoebe. And let me tell you, when he told the believers in Rome, I want you to receive her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints and give her any help that she may need from you because she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, Paul was serving as an apostle he served in the role of an elder of the church, and he entrusted Phoebe with the huge responsibility of delivering the book of Romans to the church in Rome, which is just a huge kingdom mission. Now, let me tell you, Paul learned that esteem for women from Jesus. Look at Luke chapter eight, verse one. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. Now, who, who is this? These are the 12 disciples, all guys. The 12s are with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Also Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. That's a pretty highly positioned woman in the culture. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. They were helping to finance the ministry of Jesus. And friends, can you imagine how revolutionary this would have been in the first century? I mean, in a male-dominated world that devalued women, Jesus not only allowed, but included women in his ministry, and they played a pretty significant role in supporting Jesus, even to the point of financing the work of Jesus. And I'll tell you, friends, as long as our church has been here, we have had humble, godly women stepping up to lead important ministries at the request of our elders for a long, long time. Now think about it. Under the authority and at the request of the elders of our church, Sarah Roth is a member of our lead team. That's one of the highest levels of leadership on our pastoral team. She leads our operations department, stewarding all the money and all the buildings that God has given us to advance the kingdom here in our community. Christy Birchfield leads our human resource department. She manages the care we take of all of our pastoral, pastoral teams. Uh, Margie Farmer is our curriculum developer for all of the children's ministries across six different campuses. Carolyn Kixmiller manages the short-term mission teams that deploy hundreds of Compassion Christians to five continents around the world as part of our global outreach ministries every year. 
at the request of our elders, my Sarah launched our first college ministry in our home. And then she led our Journey to Bethlehem ministry and wrote that program that touches 10% of our community the last time we did it. Now friends, all of these folks are serving at the request of our elders. So there is no usurpation of spiritual authority in these women serving in these roles because they've been asked by the elders to do so. You know, the elders are the only people in the New Testament church under Jesus who have any authority in the church. And if they ask a woman to step up and to lead something, she's doing that under their authority. And I'll tell you, without the women leading in key positions in our church, man, we'd be in deep trouble. But there are a few positions in the New Testament church where we believe that only men serve. One is the, el is the role of elder. The elder role is filled by men in the New Testament and in Compassion Christian Church because it is our understanding of Scripture that for whatever reason, God designated that as a male role. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll start reading in verse 2. It says the overseer. Now this word overseer is also translated elder. Uh, the, word, the word is used synonymously with elder all through the New Testament. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. He should not be violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Now friends, the elder in the New Testament is described as a husband and a father and the leader of a family. If you were to turn two pages to the right, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul describes people like me, lead pastors of New Testament churches as a paid elder. And so I fill the role of an elder for our church. Our campus pastors who lead all of our different campuses, we believe are filling an elder role so the elders would only ask men to serve in those roles as well because of this New Testament precedent. Now friends, we love and value the women of our church. And you've just heard from three amazing female leaders in our church and thank God for them. But the roles in our church where you won't see women serving at Compassion is on the Council of Elders, and that is seven men in a church of 10,000 people. You won't see them on the Council of Elders. You won't see a woman serving in my role as the, as the lead pastor of the church or in one of our campus pastor roles because we believe those are elder roles. So this is what the leadership development process looks like for everybody at Compassion Christian. We believe men and women are co-equals in Christ. We believe they stand before the Lord absolutely equal in value and significance in the kingdom of God. Man, Paul said in Galatians chapter three, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No higher or lower class, no higher or lower value between men and women at all. All servants of Jesus in the roles he designated. Can I hear amen? amen. Consequently, both men and women in our church are encouraged to grab a ministry opportunity and jump into service. This is where you start to grow spiritually. This is how you get discipled by loving Jesus and then serving him. And if you do that really well and you have the right set of gifts, you will find yourself rising to ministry leadership. You'll find yourself leading a group, leading a team, leading a class, leading a ministry. And we've had men and women serving as ministry team leaders for decades. And man, if your elders ask you to step up, you'll honor Jesus if you do. Now, we talked about the word deacon a minute ago. 
that can either describe a significant servant or an office in the church. And in our church, there's no difference really between a ministry leader and a deacon, except for one thing, which I'll tell you about in a second. Uh, these deacons at our church are not vice elders. They have no authority, not, not any more authority than any other ministry leader would. Uh, they do have a special relationship with the elders. They serve under the authority of the elders and they have distinguished themselves as men that we believe someday might be able to serve as an elder. And so if one of the elders of our church dies or moves to another city or steps down for whatever reason, this is the team where we'll look for his replacement. Which means that literally any man or woman in our church can move through this process. Some of the men in our church will be selected to serve as elders. Some of the men in our church may be selected to serve as campus pastors. Any man or woman in our church could be selected to serve in some of our pastoral roles and certainly in significant leadership roles, which they've already demonstrated a skill for, which I think is amazing. Now, friends, uh, this is how we've done ministry for the last 40 years, because we believe this is how the Lord Jesus organized his church. Now, I don't have to tell you that there is some pretty wide disagreement about this approach. And I have really good friends that I really respect that disagree with this ministry structure. And I love them, but they've been wrong before and they're wrong now again. All right. Now, let me just tell you, if, I, if this was my church, I'd have female elders. I'd have female deacons. I'd love to have that feminine input. Listen, we seek that feminine input because we don't have women serving in this role. So we're actively seeking it all the time. I'd love to have women serving in those roles. And then I wouldn't have to answer that question. Why don't y'all have women serving as elders at your church? I mean, if it was my church, that's the way we do it. But it's not my church. It's God's church. And he drew the blueprint for it in the New Testament. And whether or not we totally understand the Lord's reasoning we are committed as a church to using the New Testament as our truth source. So as our culture degrades and as cultural ideas fluctuate and as God's truth becomes less and less popular and less and less politically correct, we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. Can I hear amen? amen. Now, have, yeah, let's praise the Lord for that. We can all praise the Lord for that, right? Uh, come on. But having said that, <clears throat> there are some roles where only men served in the past that have changed. Because, you know, the truth is we were following what we thought was a healthy tradition that had absolutely no biblical support at all. For example, back in the day, only women served communion at our church. Only men served communion at our church. Now, do you all remember back when we used to serve communion? Way back before the little NASA communion cups, the little space communion that we have now, you know. We used to have men serve communion to everybody, take up the offering for everybody. We only had men serve in that role. Back, way back in the day, we only let men who had a coat and tie <laughs> serve communion at our church. And thank God those days are behind us. But anyway, you know, it, there's not a word in the Bible about that. We just did it. So when new men showed up at our church, they would see men in play. Because in most churches, you don't. I mean, most churches, it's women and children, and then a few old guys still sticking around, man, we wanted when a new soldier or a new a professional or a new college student walks in this building to see men and to see men serving. I mean, a lot of men serving. And you know who the biggest fan of that was? It's the women of our church. They loved it. They're like, dude, we got plenty to do. We don't need to do that too. 
And I love having a simple on-ramp for my husband or for my boys to be able to engage in the life of the church. Because if I get them doing something simple, then God will build them up and they'll start doing all kinds of stuff from there. But then when we moved to this building, man, it was so big and we needed so many more volunteers to help us with communion. We asked couples, husbands and wives, if they would you know, serve as section hosts. We asked uh, moms and their, uh, you know, parents and children if they'd be willing to serve as section hosts. And, and they do today. And it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, but there never was a really a biblical reason for only men to serve communion. We just thought it was a helpful tradition. And it was. I'll tell you another area where we've seen changing. You saw it today. We used to only have men baptize people here at our church. And I got questions about that from elephant in the room. How come you let people who aren't pastors baptize? How come you let women baptize? And the answer is, there's not a word in the New Testament that says only men should baptize. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, the pattern was whoever led somebody to Jesus, that was the person who baptized them into Christ. Amen? And so you hang around here very long. You'll see moms baptizing their children. Uh, you'll see sisters baptizing each other. Uh, you'll see small group leaders baptizing their uh, friends. And I mean, I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, there's no biblical reason at all uh, why only men should baptize. That's a tradition that I think, uh, I think I'm glad to see go that way. But you know, friends, when you're trying to do the work of the Lord, humility is what God blesses. Amen? humility. This is what Peter was talking about when he was addressing the men in the churches in Asia Minor. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, no, not just you guys, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up. Now, I'll tell you something else I love about our church. If you have a humble spirit, and you're willing to serve anywhere, anytime, do anything, God will bless that. Man, God will bless that. And he will exalt you to all the leadership responsibility you can handle. But I'll tell you this too, male or female, if you have an ego that is demanding to be satisfied, those demands will probably fall on deaf ears. And according to Peter, you're going to end up on the wrong side of the Lord. Now, friends, I am confident there are people sitting here right now and those of you online just churning on both sides of this issue. And if you are, don't send me an email. If I got 10,000 emails this week, I would not answer. I can't answer them, all right? But I stand in the same place every week, twice a week, most weeks of the year. If you want to talk about this, come talk to me and bring your Bible. Amen. Bring your Bible. Because, I mean, you don't really care what my opinion is, right? You want to know what God's word says. And, and listen, when you bring your Bible, don't bring one verse. Because I already know what verse that is. Okay, well, you bring your New Testament and we'll look at the practice and we'll look at the teaching of the New Testament church. And you'll see it looks very, very much like what we're trying to mirror here. But can I just ask you to consider trusting the Lord and praying about this? You know, if God wants his church to change, man, we're listening. We're, look, you can't look around the ministry that God has built here and not realize that the leaders of this church are listening to the leading of the Lord. But in the meantime, I want to encourage you to follow the writer of Hebrews who said, man, don't forget to do good and share with others. Man, be proactive about this. This is how you get discipled. This is how you make the kingdom strong. Man, love Jesus. Do good. Share with other people. Be proactive about that. With these kind of sacrifices, our God is pleased. And then he said, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. 
They keep watch over you as men who must give an account to God. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden because that will be of no advantage to you. Now just leave this up for a second. Leave this verse up. We don't talk about this a whole lot. But you know this COVID thing for the last year and a half or so? Dealing with all the stuff. We, we, were, we didn't have a service on this campus for 196 days. We had to decide, what about the mask thing? What about safety things? How do, we, how do we keep everybody safe? How do we do the right thing in the right way to honor God in our culture? And can I tell you, that challenge was, it was, it was exciting and joyful for me. And it was the most terrible time of, of discouragement I've ever experienced. And you know what made the difference? Which side of this verse you decided to be on? Because I got emails from both sides. Both sides. Some very encouraging. Some very discouraging. Now, if you send a discouraging email to a man of God, it won't, it won't change him. They're going to do the right thing no matter what. It'll just be a burden for them. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being so encouraging. And if you have a concern, expressing it in the right way. But friends... When we look at this, this uh, protocol, can I encourage you that rather than focusing on the seven seats in our church that you feel like you might not be available to fill, instead of focusing on the you know, 5% that might not be open to you, how much joy and how much fruit and how much blessing would fill your life if you focused on the 95% that is wide open for you. Where it's door after door after door of opportunity for everybody to jump in and serve God and make a difference. And I'm just telling you, man, if you will focus on that, God will lift you up in due time. And it will put you squarely in the middle of a biblical tradition of godly men and women who made an impact that lasted forever. Now, you know, in the books of First and Second Timothy, Paul is coaching a young uh, church planter who he sent into a really difficult field, who was facing some really hard challenges, but made a huge impact for Jesus. And Paul is trying to encourage him. And you know how Paul encourages him? Think, of, think about what Paul used to encourage one of his favorite young protégés. He said, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith because, brother, you share the faith that filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. He grew up in a family without a godly dad. And he said, I'll tell you what made you the man you are today. It was the faith of your grandmother and the faith of your mother that they poured into you. And I know that same faith continues strong in you to this day. You know what Eunice and Lois did? They created a legacy of faith that started in Timothy's mother and grandmother and continues to impact the world to this day. And so will yours. Father, thank you. Thank you for these godly women in the scripture, Lord, who just served you with a humble, proactive spirit, used their gifts, Lord, to accomplish all that you called them to do. Thank you for the thousands of women in our church who do the same thing every day. And I pray, God, that you will just continue to build a church that, that looks just like this, where there are men and women who respect each other and love each other and value each other and defend each other. And I pray, God, that we will continue to reflect that spirit that we saw in the, in the disciples of Jesus and that people will see it in his disciples to this day. And we pray this in the strong name of Christ and all, people, all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, everybody.